It is May 21st, 2017. You're listening to the Fancy Ramen Podcast. I'm your host, Neil Young, and as always, I'm joined with Cookie Skim Milk. Hi. <laughs> Scott Trickle. Hey. And for the first <laughs> portion of this podcast, we'll also be joined with Lizzie Skim Milk. Hi. So <laughs> we're going to do something a little different today. Uh, we got an email in criticizing our format quite a bit. Uh, first, I'm going to have Scott read this off to us, and uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about what we'll be changing with the podcast. All right, so the email goes as follows. Hello, Fancy Ramen people. I'm pleased to inform you that I've listened to six minutes of your podcast. I am displeased to inform you that it was so unbearable, I made it no further. (laughs) Which is a crying shame. Much like forgetting you have ramen leftovers in the fridge is a shame because the noodles get all swollen and gross. I would love to continue listening. But, all caps exclamation point, please edit down your length and stick to one topic. My... Mortal brain can only process thought that has been distilled. I love your subject matter. Please avoid jumping around and talking over one another because all that fancy ramen stuff is cool and I'd like to listen to it. Best, a lovely noodle. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have a question. Mm-hmm. They know what we're talking about with six minutes? <laughs> <laughs> I guess they looked at our uh, like track uh breakdown oh, that, that would make sense yeah depending on what type of episode if they watch the first half it's a summary then the second half of each episode at least since episode 11 has been the uh timestamp version first and foremost it's great that someone finds the time and the like wants to put forth the effort to criticize us because i think that's like if someone does that and goes that far as to do so i think it's worth discussing yeah, we, we can definitely glean some benefits from this. The main one being that our fans consider themselves lovely noodles, <laughs> which is wonderful. Yeah, that's awesome. So good morning, lovely noodles. <laughs> After we talked at great length about it, we're going to kind of divide up the episodes a little differently. Um, the more topic-focused episodes will be known as the Fancy Ramen Podcast. And anything we record that doesn't fit into that or we do after we finish the portion of that serious topic or topics, we'll call the uh, omake, which I don't think e- any of you have heard that word before, correct? You've used it once in the podcast to explain some like bonus panel comic stuff. So that is how I interpret it is it means bonus. Yeah, more Yay. or less oh. extra. Okay. And that's where we can get a little more personal and all that type of stuff. That's where we can have hearts to hearts with our... Uh, <laughs> With our listeners. Talk about our dietary problems. (laughs) All sorts of things. This week, we're going to start off talking about Death Parade. We brought up watching Death Parade last episode, and we kind of ended up just binging through all of it at Cookie's recommendation. (laughs) Can we talk about how that actually went with the timing real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So we use a Slack chat to conduct most of our business. And in the Slack chat, I think it was it the day afterward... Like, we had decided this, it was the day after recording, Cookie decided, like, guys, this is a really good show. I want to finish it. Well, at least based off the first three episodes, I was yeah. just like, I was just like, yeah, can, there was a cliffhanger there. Can I, can I continue, please? <laughs> and Neil begrudgingly said, I guess it's up to Scott. So he pretty much just said, ask your mother. <laughs> <laughs> I just figured that of all of us, Scott's probably going to have the slowest rate of watching an anime normally. So, normally, yes. <laughs> and, and then Scott made notes on the anime that he finished, I think, at least two days before Cookie and I. I so. panicked that I was, I knew I would be the slow one and I panicked. So I put down a schedule 
And I started working on it right away. And so I finished it and I had posted to the Slack chat like, okay, great recommendation. I just never want to like binge watch through something like this again because <laughs> it, it deserves to be savored. And I, I didn't get a response from Neil, but Cookie was just like, oh, I got to finish that. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, you're right. So much stuff came out. I was just like, well, I can watch more of this anime or video game, video game, video game. <laughs> Which is good since we're a video game and anime podcast. Yeah, and we will be talking about some of those video games coming up here after this segment. So obviously, we'll be discussing the series as a whole with the expectation that any interested listeners have also seen the series. So we won't need to go through a synopsis of each episode. We can talk about the general themes, of course, but we're also not worried about spoiling anyone because if you've gotten this far into this conversation, you should really turn off or skip ahead <laughs> if you don't want to spoil yourself on Death Parade. I will also like to give a disclaimer. Whenever we decide we're going to watch another anime, we will set a schedule and a time limit of when to watch and tell our listeners so that way they're not like, oh yeah, I binge watched the first one and then they did the four episodes each. And then this one I did four episodes and yeah. now it turns out they've watched all of it. In the future from this, we will always try and hit a way to parse it out. Right. And hopefully I think we will always try and split it out where we're watching one quarter or one third of it each time. Yeah. And we will never binge watch again. I will never binge watch again. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers incoming. Death Parade. Who wants to start us off here? I'm being looked at. So <laughs> you wrote the dissertation. I I pulled a Neil in this one and I just like started typing things out and then I looked at it and I was like, oh, I need to tone this down. I need to shrink it down. And then I did and I was like, this is still way too much. I think it's because it was also really hard to actually synthesize a good cohesive summary without summarizing everything and not doing like episode by episode progressive analysis so i've just got some basic themes out of death parade that make me really enjoy this show like it's really good death parade is an anime about judgment at the end of the day that is the primary focus or theme but what i really liked is that it's about judgment in all these different perspectives and ways it's about the judgment of the Arbiter characters towards the humans that they're charged with judging. It's the judgment of humans through the black-haired woman we find out later named Chiyuki, and I'm going to call her Chiyuki for the rest of the episode, and her judgment towards the people who uh, have been sent to Queen Dakim to be judged. It's about humans towards themselves and the people that, that uh, they're competing against and their judgments about the values of their own life and the life of the people that they're competing against. And then ultimately that all comes together as our judgment as a viewer and how we feel about the decisions that are made by the characters and also how that portrays them and what we feel is right or wrong. Because at the end of the day, in most of these episodes, somebody gets sent to the void and somebody gets reincarnated. And the reincarnated is the better option of the two. So we get to decide how we feel about the results of everything. And it may or may not line up with what the other judgments of characters within the show are. And I like that juxtaposition and that essentially like implicit uh, thought that the writers had where it is 
We are going to make you think very critically about every outcome that happens in this. And there's probably no one who ever watched the show who thought that every outcome was fair or just in their eyes. And I like that too. So what are you guys' thoughts on Chiyuki and Dekim having these very different perspectives into how they judge people? Because Chiyuki is very empathetic to everyone who comes to Quindicim. And, and Deckham, though he can feel human emotion, he doesn't have the context to feel human emotion in an empathetic way. He can only feel it in how it immediately affects him. And so that leads them to have very different perspectives. I think it's good for, I call him Decim, but De- Oh, yeah, we can know. do Decim too. Okay. Um, I think it's good for him to actually see, you know, her side of things and, like, oh, well, yeah, it makes sense if you explain it like that type of thing. He definitely always seems naive. Yeah, yeah, like he's still learning almost. He's just a child, a doll. <laughs> he's a dummy. That's what it was. Yeah. He's a baka. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that he changes, albeit not a whole lot, but changes in his judgments from episode one to say, nine or ten before he has to judge Chiyuki. Yeah, definitely. Totally agree. Yeah. I think he starts to show doubts roughly halfway through yeah, the yeah. anime. It's important to point out that the Arbiters are not perfect. So right. we are definitely supposed to view some of the judgments as being completely unfair and yeah. unwarranted. Like the very first one yeah. his inability <laughs> to like determine that... I mean... By all accounts, I don't know if anyone's going to disagree with me, but the husband was kind of a douchebag. Yeah, like it was much. unfortunately his misunderstanding that brought them to that. Yeah. But they died due to like his jealousy and mm-hmm. his paranoia about it, like his inability to communicate. But he turned out right. And not that's about why the kid though. But sh- to- he turned out right, and that's why Decim sent him back. Because if you're right, that means you get sent back. But he wasn't right. I know. They kind (laughs) of left things unanswered because like, well, did she have an affair? And was it a one-time thing? I think they explained it. Yeah, uh, they explained it in the second episode a little more in regards to that scene of her cheating on her husband. And that might have even happened before they got married. That did happen. But she's also crying in her pillow at that time because she instantly regrets. Yeah. Yeah. It's very important that we see that as our first episode, first and second episode, because we learn that uh, Decim Decim has an imperfect, as they explain later, collection of their memories. I kind of think it's more like he's given a bunch of snapshots. Right. Mm -hmm. And he can put things into place, but part of the judgment process and, and the game process is so he has a better understanding of how they relate to, like how their personality and memories relate to those snapshots. Mm hmm. Yeah, when she lies about the baby and stuff, I knew that she was lying, and I told Cookie, I'm like, no, she was in love with the old him. That's what she's saying. Yeah, no. And I think that part might have been true, that she was truly in love with the older version of him, and uh-huh. his his love or personality became distorted after the wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That paranoia. Yeah. 
as to saying like you you wanted the scott you wanted the uh outcomes to actually reverse swap. yeah, yeah. i too. i would have felt that the more and may i'm maybe just a very empathetic person but i feel like they both should have been reincarnated yeah yeah actually i uh mm, yeah I maybe maybe i should say between the two of them i i was uh accepting the fact that someone had to go to the void and I think it was his susceptibility to, you know, the corrupting thoughts of infidelity and jealousy and therefore his like anger. And I, I don't know, he, he played the game in a way that was a little abusive as well. Yeah. You know, oops. Yeah. Mi- missing a shot with air quotes. Well, I, I think that it was, was actually him missing, but like a subconscious twinge hit at that point. Like, right. Cause they said it could be affect the what you think could affect how you do in the game type mm-hmm. of thing. I remember from the scene at least that he was like panicking that, uh oh, she will win. And I yeah. don't want to, like, he's decided that because he suspects that she cheated on him that she should be condemned to death like in in the in the assumptions that they've all made which is why episode 2 is so good that it like dispels a lot of that tension because you know the bodies in the back are just dolls and the winner and loser of the game is not what matters at all but right that's only so we as the viewers like that shocking first like hook episode gets us in and then it explains it to us a little bit better so we can appreciate the nuances to the judgment throughout the rest of the episodes. Yeah. So you keep mentioning that one person has to be reincarnated one person has to go to the void. That's incorrect. Well, yeah, that I, I don't yeah. think he was saying that really? was the case. Wait, but we've, no, no, I, no. Yeah, he's been thinking of, he's been I've saying been it like thinking that. that from day one. Yeah, that one person goes to the void, one person gets no, reincarnated. No, because there was no, one episode the where... The arcade, yeah. they both they went both to got, the void. Went to, no, they both got reincarnated. Did they both get yeah. reincarnated? I thought it was the um the bowling that they both got reincarnated and the arcade, they both went to the void. I have it in my notes that, okay, okay for the she arcade, they notes. were both reincarnated, which I, I was kind of surprised. I didn't think that would be the case. And then I was really upset at the bowling one because the only thing that the girl did was get plastic surgery and she's going to the void like why no no she the they both go they they're both reincarnated in that episode in the bowling one yeah i remember that one very uh, i very thought we were rewound cuz we couldn't see the faces she got reincarnated yep oh good they 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 pan up after they both go into the elevators and they're both angel faces oh okay so but i'm pretty sure the woman the mother in the arcade episode goes to the void but the 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 not the son of the mother but the son character that is also in this, there goes maybe to I got stepson yeah. yeah okay is reincarnated no, i actually just thought about that for a second and i looked it up on the wikipedia apparently for the bowling one both do get reincarnated yep. and oh, okay. that makes okay. sense to yeah me. that does i was yeah. confused about that but i didn't i guess i didn't look at the masks or i hadn't picked up on that just yet mm. even I though i think they made it obvious like i could have sworn that i thought that the masks indicated where you went after yeah, the first yeah. episode yeah they yeah should. they do for whatever reason but i they, think so but you were probably on like the whenever they showed when everybody first comes down they show one mask is hell one mask is heaven right yes right yeah. But it actually flips depending on the judgment. Yeah, oh, okay. it, it flips in multiple episodes. Those masks are just representative. I, I don't necessarily think it's representative of what their outlook is coming in. I just assumed it was like we that, need to that show just happens the, to be how they are. Yeah, the duality. The bowling episode in particular is very important because we learn that Decim 
and arbiters as a whole have the ability to send both parties to one place or the other. Yeah. We meet Ginty, who is the bartender and arbiter of, I can't remember what floor. He's 15. 15? Yeah. No, that's, no, uh, that's, uh, that's oh, King Deku. He's 20. Yeah, that means he's 20, because he was five above, which is pretty much the same exact thing. Yep. Low. Although he's salty about it. <laughs> he still sees himself as being better than uh, Decim. Yeah. Oh, and actually, real quickly, uh, King or Queen Decim, isn't that a play on uh, wording or numbering, Latin numbers? Uh, I guess it would be. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know what Q-U-I-N is. I think that's for five and then des, decimal, decim. So I, I've been pronouncing it with like a, with a hard K sound, decim. Well, but yeah. that's just because that's what they do in the anime. But when you call mm-hmm. them decim, it's like, oh, that makes more sense because decimal. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Ginty or Ginty, the bartender of the 20th floor. When we see him work, we realize that arbiters as a whole are also not flawless to their impartial stance and like mm-hmm. even if we we take that decim is flawed in many ways because he is and even by the end of the series you can argue he's still very flawed but he's aware of his flaw yes. at the end of the series i think and that is that is where we see that growth is that he acknowledges that he's lacking what he thinks is necessary knowledge to make the judgments. so to back up just a little bit uh queen decim is latin for 15 okay Oh, that makes sense then. It's five and decim is ten. Well, I was going to say because Quinn for quintuple, decim for ten. And I also looked up his Japanese characters are Dekimu. Dekimu. Yeah, (laughs) so that's why I called him Dekim. Anywho, Ginty, 20th floor. When we see him, we have a very stark contrast to uh, decim because decim, even even at the start. He respects human life. Exactly. He respects Mm -hmm. people that have uh, lived fulfilling lives. Whereas Ginty, on the other hand, has absolutely no respect for humans until a certain point. We learn a bit, but we're presented to this character as being kind of ruthless, purposely pushing people over the edge and passing harsh judgment. He strikes me as someone who's like, you would use him as an example of burnout, I think, if, if uh, you compared him to like Deckham. Like he, he seems not involved in his job in any sort of a passionate way, but just like, let's get this over with. Right. You know, I'm going to push you to your edge. I'm going to see how awful both of you are. And then I'm going to condemn at least one of you, probably. He's like detached. Yeah, he's totally detached. Like, he just wants to pass a judgment and get it over with. Speaking of him, why did he not just send what's-her-name to Uh, reincarnation, like, immediately? Mayu or whatever? Why did he not send Mayu, like, immediately? Is that the fangirl? I think because he was also reserving judgment on her. But uh, there isn't a good explanation why the, like teen heartthrob boy band kid also doesn't get sent anywhere no he he does does. yeah he got sent to the void Void. which explains the last episode where mayu was like okay i'm going to go to the void and take his place yeah which is why she also got sent to the void at the very end there i was confused why his body remained behind then it's just a doll man doll yeah yeah he, he assumedly just recreated it to tackle your question on why he didn't pass judgment there are possibly two explanations the first one is that he did not see enough information from her game to determine whether or not she was worthy of being reincarnated. She right. sacrificed she was herself. Con- he was confused that she, because she was going to pee herself. I totally agree <laughs> but with But he Lizzie. didn't know that, yeah. So he was like, well, why would she sacrifice herself, you know? Now, mm. on that line of thought, though, the second explanation, and it could be a mixture of these two, this is the one I believe more so, 
he was unable to do it because he felt something for her. Well, yeah. I, I think it could be both. I think ultimately his hesitation first comes from his confusion to her decision. Right. And therefore, by wanting to understand someone more, like wanting to understand someone is is a very uh, like embracing thought. Mm-hmm. Like when you want to comprehend someone, you spend time with them. And normally, normally it's, you know, a, a positive grow. like growth. Yeah. And I guess he was also asking other arbiters like, were you ever able to not judge anybody? They're when all he like, first, lol, no. <laughs> when he first said that, I thought he was talking about Desim's situation because it was before we knew that Mayu was still in his bar. Yep. Right, mm-hmm. right. And then you're like, oh, she's still here. Didn't okay. Desim start questioning some of the things too with him? And he was like, well, why do we do it this way? Yeah, he was thing? just like, yeah. because we're arbiters, that's what we do. Right, but I think him questioning it made him kind of second guess himself. Deckham is is an agent of change. I think. Agent yes. of Chaos. <laughs> Should we use this as a segue to go into Chiyuki? Because I think we can talk about these things at the same time. Totally. Okay. So Chiyuki, which is written with the characters of knowing and happiness, is possibly our most tragic character, which is suitable for our finale. Her life's memories are filled with happiness before we learn of her injury. Um, and her injury is the ice skating incident that revokes her ability to skate ever again. And we can't really tell if her movement is hampered to the point where she just can't perform an athletic activity like ice skating or if she's somewhat more paralyzed than that from the injury because we don't really see her move after that i didn't um, get that impression that she was i think she's able to walk yeah. yeah just not like just jump not, or run right i was curious though because it, it could even be a walk with a limp versus right like she she could be pretty like seriously injured by it and that's what keeps her from ice skating or it could just be like don't do this or your acl is right. gonna like shred itself but chiyuki is essentially like paired with the chavo story over and over throughout the progression of the show because in a way she shares similarity with chavo chavo is unable to express herself to the boy because she can't speak words or language opposite uh the boy can't the boy can't express express himself himself to her her. i'm sorry that's right if she's deaf from birth she might not know how to vocalize or speak as well yeah that's kind of what i thought and that's why she can only respond with a smile yeah (laughs) that big creepy smile i kind of like that story i totally think it's creepy but it was a cute story that smile is just like i was assuming at some point (laughs) that was going yeah exactly that was going to become like a murderous story (laughs) i honestly when they first introduced the story my first thought was oh that boy is going to drown it's gonna (laughs) turn dark yeah it's gonna turn dark real fast but it stayed nice and light i'm glad it didn't but yeah, so so she's a mirror of the Chavo, or the Chavo story is supposed to be a mirror of her situation. And we get to learn that before we actually learn her situation with the ice skating. And so I feel her form of value comes out of ice skating. And she says uh, explicitly that ice skating is not that important to her. But as soon as she says it's not that important to her, the the way her mind goes is thanks to ice skating all of these relationships I have that are very important to me exist. Mm. And so like that, that was her form of expression and it got taken away from her. And I believe that is what like drives her into her deep depression and ultimately suicide. She very plainly even says that, uh, she has problems with humans understanding humans. Yes. Afterwards. 
and that is only expressed after she loses her ability to skate. Yeah, her quote is, people just can't understand one another. It's wrong to want to understand each other. Also, it, it poses the question, like that's another implied question to the uh, viewer. Is it wrong to, is it wrong to try and understand one another? Because what she's saying is counter to what Deckham is trying to do, and that is understand people and their emotions in order to pass a more holistic like judgment on them. This is a really great anime. Like it's really philosophical and it touches a lot of points and I think it it approaches everything with like this very respectful and thoughtful air about each idea that it tries to tackle. While you may not be able to understand someone's, you know, emotions or motives or whatever, I think what she misses is the acceptance. Like her family would have still accepted and loved her even though she couldn't ice skate type mm-hmm. of thing. She hung up on the understanding part, which I think it's more about, you know, accepting somebody just for who they are, even if you don't fully understand them. Yeah. And and I think it harmed her self-value as well, mm-hmm. which is the other thing. It's another topic in that is what is the value of life? What is the point of living it? And I don't know if it gets explicitly stated, but at least something very close to the dialogue does happen at a point in which it's... The meaning of your life, oh, that's right, the Mayu girl does it. The meaning of your life is exactly what you make it out to be. For Mayu, it's it's her obsession with this Harada guy and, and her like love and appreciation for what he brought to her life. And so her life being all about him is enough value for her. Another thing that confuses Ginty, I think. Mm-hmm. So he sends her to the void. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, he lets her go to the void, uh, I think is is more appropriate. So is the guy, is he in the void or did he get reincarnated? They're both in the void. They're actually. both. Yeah. Okay, yes. that's what I yeah, thought. Yeah, the guy tried to push her. He was about to push her. Right. He went to the void. Yeah, he was. Good. He was actually the first guy who went to the void. The first male. male. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The void, yeah. I think Nona intentionally takes and sends Shiyuki to Desim because Desim himself, as we've previously stated is a catalyst Mm -hmm. what makes decim different from his other arbiter buddies is that he has human emotions and while we don't necessarily see that from the start that is what enables uh chiyuki to change and eventually make decim essentially into a pure human minus you know the bodily differences during her judgment he's able to have a human perspective at least yeah she she ultimately endows him with that and then the big question is if Deckham is the catalyst like is he able to impose thinking like a human or or human emotional thought onto his other arbiters over time or through his interactions are his questions enough to like force that behavior out of them i think they are because ginty yeah but at the, at the same point, like we, we see that Ginty starts questioning himself and questioning his methods. Mm-hmm. And he even uh, has my, you know. Um, he makes a Mayu wood doll at the end. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the issue is that in learning that those wood dolls are his past guests that he has deemed memorable enough. We ask the question of whether Ginty was having those concerns. Doubts of feelings earlier. Yeah. yeah. They actually right. talk about. So the previous owner of Quindesim was Quinn. And she quit being an arbiter. So I think I am on the bandwagon of no, Decim is not a catalyst. He is just a plaything, an experiment. Because what's her name kind of just seemed 
the one lady who set this entire thing up, seemed really indifferent to it at the very end. I think she seems very serious or focused about it. Mm, like, yeah. I think she feigns or plays indifference with uh, that older Lotus Flowerhead. Yeah. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Lotus Flowerhead works. I mean, he's he's like, he's the closest thing they have as a proxy to God. Right. But even he says he's a dummy, which like, I like that that idea too, that they all just see it as this like completely rigid and unchangeable system. Right. And that's because like, that's just how things are. Like it's not even the system is set up to be this way. It's like the system cannot exist as anything else than, than what it already is as, you know, emotionless arbiters. But I also think this judgment. happened before based on like his like reaction to why are you doing all this? And she's like, it's a waste, because. yeah. It's like rule number five or was it four? It's four. Yeah. Rule number four. They state three if, over and over and then the, he comes up with four later. It's or like he says if four, four. Four. If an arbiter has emotions, it leads to ruin. Yeah. And that's at the very end too. So we're like left with this. We're left with a lot of open-ended questions. Like yeah. how did Dustin become human for about half a second? In right? a really good way though too. I like that. The, the fact that his eyes are what indicate plays off of scott's specific statement that he obtains human perspective but it's also important to point out that he gets the arbiter cross eyes back mm -hmm. afterwards yeah but i think that might might have been important to a, a second season I, maybe it's too soon to say that there's not going to be anything else but we we do have a lot of questions unanswered and it w would be a problem for an arbiter to, to be at least mentally and emotionally human Decim having the human eyes, I think, would draw concern out of other arbiters. And I mean, we already know the the big boss, Oculus. Mm -hmm. That's the Lotus Flower Chin guy. Oh, okay. yeah. uh, Oculus obviously is against this idea, but he's not actively taking matters into his own hands at this point. Mm -mm, no, he's so. investigating on all of it with Which... his flower attack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he used that... Absorb or whatever. <laughs> that girl, though, was worried that he would put a stop to it. Yes. Yeah. Because she was like, we're not going to have think, much time. Right. And I think that's why she downplayed it as like she didn't care about it so that like he wouldn't find out about it, basically. But he knew. Or well, need to act that's... on it so quickly. Right, mm -hmm. right. Yeah. And he never gets in her head either. <laughs> she dodges that. So yeah, like he isn't able to necessarily discern her motives. And because he right. can't discern them, I think it's also for us as the viewer to not have a full comprehension or understanding of what her motives are either. Mm -hmm. She plays it very cool, but she seems very interested in it. Right, like, right. Her friend Quinn notes that she spends a lot of time focusing on Deckham in particular out of all the people that mm -hmm. she's supposed to purvey. I assume we'll score this at the end on how we feel about it. Yeah. Um, Neil's giving it a lower score because he wants more. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. it's just <laughs> aside from happening within Decim or Deckham. What we start off with is an imperfect judge. Uh, judgment system and what we're left with is potentially even a worse system in some cases mm. decim seems to be better ginty seems to still be <laughs> fucking terrible <laughs> i get more of a this was the chiyuki arc so it's less about decim he just happens to be side story and it's all really about like Jeez. who's this Discovering random her. who's yeah. this random assistant that no one else has oh yeah. she's human turns out dolls can't be in this area for very dummies can't be in this area for very long if the arbiters are made out of, made out of the same thing, why can their skin still exist? Plot. Well, <laughs> well, I think you could argue that 
they have nowhere for they have no soul and so it's not going anywhere there's no is that what's going to happen tension upon it but let's also analyze something that was said by either ginty or oculus or one of the characters in the know i i still think kind of decimus maybe the dumbest character in terms of the knowledge of how things work within this afterlife. He totally does seem very <laughs> ignorant to he, all of that. And he doesn't seem like he cares either. That's just his monotone voice. He cares, <laughs> he he smiles cares about the, the people. What the fuck is wrong with his <laughs> smile? <laughs> well, he, he has a good smile by the end of it, though. Yeah, it is really funny, though. <laughs> the, the first smile. Yeah. Someone brings up the fact that the Arbiters and people like the Arbiters or these quote-unquote dolls like the Arbiters are made up of the souls that enter into the void, which draws into question whether or not the void is actually the... if there's even a worse place to go between reincarnation and the void. Oculus uh, states that, that they're they're standing on top of the void, more or less, and that, yeah, they they draw the souls from the void or whatever. Um, So... It is interesting to think that, like, is is the source to their existence the the recycling of not even recycling because reincarnation puts souls, you know, back into the system essentially. But like, I guess the raw energy of of like condemning these souls to the void, like, because they dissipate, you know. So is that well, means is Genty the, like the best arbiter because he's just. <laughs> He's just like, we got to keep going. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. He's fueling the fire. <laughs> we, oh. we only get one clear description of what the void is. And Ginty describes it to Mayu when uh, he says that it's a constant feeling of falling. falling. Constant seems to indicate to me that it never stops. So I don't necessarily yeah. think you dissipate in the right. void. Their light like combines and then fades out. In oh, yeah. With sequence. Yeah. Well, I think it's just going further away. Right. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. That's what I thought. What I kind of, oh man, what was my thought that I just had? Cookie and I were trying to figure out if they were going to play on what, something they said more. They kept saying like, oh, well, more and more people are dying every second. And yeah, we they're were getting like, overloaded. Yeah, and we were like, well, why? What's happening on Earth? But they never really went into it. They keep saying 7,000 people a second die. Yeah. And multiple characters talk about how it's, higher than normal mm-hmm. how we're being overworked i think they actually mention in one episode something that's going on yes that's affecting it did they and then they move on they yeah. don't Aww. they don't say what it is but they suggest that something is happening there's an outside force oh, killing yeah people. yeah outside force i remember that which that sure as hell sounds like it would have been content for season I two i know ah. woo <laughs> but they never don't get too excited <laughs> it's anime yeah I want to ask you guys what you think of Death Parade as an anime, but not as a story or a narrative. What do you think of the production quality of it? I think they were definitely trying to go for like a certain theme. Did you guys watch Death Billiards? Either of you two? No. Uh-uh. Okay. Neil, did you watch Death Billiards? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to talk to Neil for a second then with the death billiards thing for just a second, because it'll give you some context about my feelings about the show. Well, we're being shunned. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Really short, death billiards, well, I can explain it to you guys, and then to any listeners who may have watched Death Parade but not seen death billiards. It's an OVA that I believe it should take place before um, the first episode. No, that's right. It has to take place in between, like in the middle of Death Parade. 
you said like episode five or six, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's between six and seven. So right before you have the series Death Billiards game, you throw this episode right in. Yeah. Okay. So um, this episode has the old mangaka, her husband, which is really cool. It's kind of like a, a shout out to, uh, I, I guess the mangaka is a shout out to the OVA, which came first, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you can tell the OVA became or came first because it doesn't have nearly as like seamless pairing between the music and like the visuals. They've got the art style down, but they don't have that like type of, I don't know, they have like a stained glass kind of like aura or just like really pretty um, like visual kind of smear over the art in, in a lot of it. Like it looks, it looks like a very cool color kind of scheme with the purple and the blue and whatnot to it. And I just think like they, they have this very smooth and subdued type of visual to it. And yet the music that they used was not cogent with that at all. Mm. It, it sounded a little more like just generic, exciting anime music at times or just generic background. But the smooth jazz and the solitary piano that they used for the anime um, proper is like just exceptionally well paired with the mm-hmm. art style and so i i really adore not only this show for this the narrative and the story but also like the visual elements of it are are really good i could read this i could read this as a manga but i don't think i would enjoy it as much as watching it as an anime which i always think is a really important quality to note they definitely did have like a mood that yeah. they, they set and I did enjoy the music a lot. And the ending, like the very ending uh credits music in which they just slightly preview for like 10 seconds the next episode gave me the most like kind of uh bonfire uh dark souls vibe to it mm-hmm. with the type of instrument that they used and so I just loved it. I really, I really enjoyed this show for for a lot of reasons. If I were to give it a score, it it would be whatever the perfect score is on the scale. Really? For me, for wow. me personally, yeah, definitely. The uh, animation, watching the OVA kind of pointed out maybe a little bit of a flaw in that with an OVA or just a short one-off, you can focus a lot on the quality of certain aspects. Uh, and I felt like the animation and the, just the artwork as a whole was maybe as tad bit better in billiards than it was death parade it looked really good yeah Um, especially when they were shooting the pool yeah oh yeah that was cool it's hard to draw balls like (laughs) anything that's like an orb and clear and has light going through it that's actually really tough to draw and it looked just perfect in contrast uh when you get to like the ice skating which by the way, the ice skating scene was actually better than certain parts of Yuri on Ice in terms of animation quality. I agree. That being said, that did kind of show some of the flaws behind it. Yeah. And you realize at that point that everything has been very still framed and slow action. A lot of it. And once you get to that scene, you're like, oh, like. Yeah. It's not quite perfect. Yeah. yeah. It's, there's something kind of clunky with it. Right. Like when she's doing her spin and it just looks like the foot flips back and forth like you don't see any rotation at all yeah i thought that was super weird i was just like oh man she's moving so fast (laughs) looks like a flip book i was really excited i was like i wish they'd show more of her feet because i want to know if she's doing axles or flips (laughs) or i want to use this yuri on ice knowledge that i have as a whole um 
I think I'd give it like a seven out of ten or a three point five. Yeah. Wait, I think did you I'm with drop Neil. your score further? Yeah. Or no, not not. I I said before that I, it he heard be that I eight. gave it a good score, and so he wanted to take <laughs> it down a notch. I want to give Stupid it more, but death like parade fanboys, <laughs> it doesn't wrap up in a neat way for me. Not and at all. Yeah. Like you know, I I am talking about it from a story point. So if I was just talking about quality of quality and not uh, quality of the animation, the music, everything in a tight package, I would give it I think a, an eight or a nine, someplace there. But when you factor in story, it goes to a seven. I think I'm the same. Uh, and I would have rated it worse, actually. But apparently my notes were wrong. Because I, I was mad about some of the results or judgments of some people. But apparently I was mistaken. So I think it's a seven for me. I'm going like a 8.5 for me. It's, the story was just intriguing enough that I really do want that second se- season. And if everyone keeps giving it sixes and fours, Neil, they're never going to want to do it. They're just going to be like, Neil was so mean to us. We're not making season two. (laughs) Screw that guy. In some Japanese anime boardroom right now, they're like, (laughs) we are eagerly awaiting the results of the fancy ramen review. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, our our podcast runs off of uh, Dave's input. Maybe, Mm -hmm. Maybe Crunchyroll runs off of yours. It's like... Neil's watching anime twenty four seven. He's actually got a show on right now while we're while we're recording. Hey, I can't stop it. No, <laughs> is that Rosario Vampire Neil? Have no shame. <laughs> I haven't seen it. It's terrible. It ended up on my Netflix account because some because one of my friends wanted to mess with me because they were like, "What's the worst anime we can find on here and put it on Scott's Netflix?" Because he shares it with his family and they'll think oh, that's really weird. Oh my gosh! So I have that, and I have like Glitter Force or whatever, and that's in German, by the way. Oh wow! They switched the subtitling to German, or no, they switched the language settings to German. Which wow. kudos to them for having a German option in the first place. But I'm like. Guys, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. So my family just doesn't ask about my viewing habits anymore. <laughs> nobody knows. Well, are we putting uh, Death Parade to rest? I think so. Ooh, what a way to what a way to put Ooh. it. I I'm putting it to reincarnation because I do want a second season. There you go. I'm, yeah, I'm I would probably watch the second season. I just feel like I'm you. a bit of an apologist on like not tightly wrapped up stories or stories that leave a lot of unanswered questions because one of my favorite things is dark souls and they don't wrap up almost anything ever but i think there's so much extra content that is there for the player because of the medium because of the medium so the anime couldn't have that like an anime couldn't have that amount of extra stuff that exists within Dark Souls. And right. That's why, that's why I give it a free pass on stuff like that. Also, I give it a free pass because I watch anime and 90% of that shit is just not wrapped up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or it takes 900 episodes. <laughs> and I score hey, them hey. all low for that reason, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. It was only okay. 500 episodes. <laughs> Enough on anime. Let's talk about a game we just finished up on the channel, at least very briefly, uh, called Little Nightmares. Cookie played that. Please, no need to cut it short just because I haven't played. Oh, it's fine. Um, It's okay. I'm the only one that has played it. Yeah, exactly. Lizzie and I watch Cookie play this over a four-part series that you can find on YouTube as well as FancyRamen.com. And also on the Fancy Ramen Facebook page. Almost said podcast. (laughs) (laughs) This game is available on PC and Xbox One. We played them on the PS4, which I thought was fine. 
Uh, Little Nightmares is an adventure platformer game similar to developer Play Dead's recent lauded release, Inside, as well as Limbo to an extent. Uh, in Little Nightmares, ta- uh, Tarsier, I believe it is, Studios, crafted a strange, unnerving tale of one young raincoat-dressed girl's escape from certain death aboard a large sea-bound ship. I liked it. Yeah, it was yeah. really cool. The imagery was really awesome. I enjoyed my playthrough. Didn't didn't want to stop. I enjoyed watching your playthrough. I accidentally screamed a few times. <laughs> yeah, th- that game had some yeah. not really jump scares because it's not like they're flashing a big giant bear at you. Uh, <laughs> but like the the mood that they present is so effective that when something drastic does happen, you are shook by it. Mm-hmm. I almost had to wonder towards the end when you see, you know, all the obese, almost people, um, if they're kind of playing off humanities like greed, you know, I just, I thought that was really interesting. Or as our executive producer, silent executive producer likes to call it the spirited away scene. I, I definitely understand that comparison. And I think it's one that's been made quite a bit online. Um, I would imagine so. Those are pretty good things of spirited away. Did I make you watch that? Yeah, yeah. And you're talking about, I remember that where there's a bunch of like bigger people and they're all like eating like crazy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they get turned into pigs. I don't remember that part, but I do remember. That them. part happens at the start, but there's also like a feast sort of mm-hmm. scene right. happening later on. Right. Mm-hmm. I remember the feast. That's what I remember. Yeah. They all get turned into pigs and then you got to find, then you got to figure out which one's your mom and dad. But none of them are. And she wins. Yay. <laughs> As a whole, I'm really excited that something like this came out because with as much excitement that Inside has, and I don't want to make this like a critical evaluation or review of Inside, I felt that Inside lacked a lot of design to it and personality in the artistic design. It feels really blank and empty as someone who really enjoyed playing Inside, but I'd say that's almost a strength to it because... That was what they were going for, type. Yeah, of thing. everybody is kind of like this faceless drone. Like, spoilers. <laughs> maybe even you are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think we talked about it a little bit, yeah. at least. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily like dock inside for that. That seemed more like a uh, conscious choice than an omission for that particular game. In the same way, though, they did that with uh, Limbo, where everything is a black silhouette. Yeah, Limbo's okay. It's a good puzzle game. I don't think that there's any sort of strength to the narrative that it tries to push. And see, my issue with Inside and Limbo are that it seems like these games are meant to be trial and error games. Oh, I just got killed by the spider. That means I probably need to not run towards the spider. That might be a very simple example. But on the flip side, Little Nightmares, it gives you enough room, at least it seemed to, where it is really good at leading you where, like, to where your next checkpoint is and how you're supposed to get around things. It gives you enough time to react, and uh, you, you don't technically have to die a whole lot. I, I think, Cookie, by the way, you actually played that game very well and very fast compared to a lot of other people that I've seen play it since. Yeah, we did play it through fast, I felt like. Like three hours? I've seen some play, or maybe even less than that, two and a half hours. So. Yeah, I think it was two and a half. I've seen playthroughs go as high as four hours, apparently. So oh, four, four wow. and a half. That's, that's a lot of I think it helped that we were all helping him solve the puzzles, too. Because like one time I was like, oh, there's the key. And then, you know, so I think that maybe helped a little. 
But I also think it's it's good design in that the game doesn't force you to die to figure out how you're not supposed to die. Yeah. You just got to be quicker than the fat person. <laughs> exactly. Or the person with those super long arms. Fuck that guy. That I guy know, cheated. I know. Yeah, the Jedi trick. He was crazy. <laughs> Some major bullshit. Right <laughs> <here>. <laughs> Did you guys have any final thoughts on on little nightmares? Um it's it a nice good. nice yeah. little platformer. Uh how much did it, uh, was it 15? 20 bucks. It was 20 bucks? See, that seems a little I wanted, high. I wanted it to be 15. Yeah, yeah I, I could see that. $20 for like a two and a half hour game does seem maybe a little high. Right. The price is considered. too damn high. Mm. Well, and it doesn't really have any replay value, I don't think. The only replay value would be to find more uh, gnomes to hug. More gnomes and more statues. Like getting your collectibles. Right. But was I getting achievements for that? I should probably go back and look. We I had all those things turned off. So Yep. It seemed like something special happened when you would break the vases. But what? I don't know. <laughs> it it's the same dark power that we saw the geisha right. involved with. There is no link otherwise. And little nightmares in a way that uh, Limbo and Inside also do does not give you direct answers for much right. of anything. Right. And I, I can criticize the game for that. Neil doesn't get answers, gets a lower score. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I kind of liked that, the mystery aspect of it. Yeah, and I thought it was cool ending the game with a lot of questions when you started the game with almost nothing. Right. Like right. There, the narrative is what you take and what you can determine based upon your settings. And what you want to take out of it. Because I'm actually completely unfazed by the entire thing until you gave me the whole, oh, there might have been pictures of her in the geisha's room. And I was like, oh, well, that's cool. I was <laughs> I was completely fine with her being like, all right, I'm trying to escape. Oh, fuck, I'm on a boat. All right, guess I need superpowers. Let's do this shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess how would she know that she'd get superpowers by killing the geisha? Yeah, I don't think I ever thought of her as trying to find her parents. I always thought her goal was escaping, basically. Yeah. And then when she found out she couldn't escape, she was just like, going to the top, let's and do this. Maybe it's a mixture of all those things, because I'm not entirely certain either. But yeah. What kind of score would you guys give this? Are we including price in the score? Always. I, yeah, I, I include I price know. in my scores. Uh, it's but, hard not to. It's like you're going to let it factor whether or not you say right. you are. I think it's a totally fair thing to consider the price and a score. Like, a game can be exceptionally good, but if it is very poorly priced, yeah, that's definitely a detriment. And vice versa, I feel like if I got a game that was amazing and I didn't pay that much for it, yeah, it'd bring it my opinion it, up even right. more. Or if I got a game that was crap, but it was like two bucks, I'm like, well, for the price, did it really right. hurt me? Right. No, it didn't. You have to ask yourself, how do you take in the value of something from an ad objective standpoint of, I got this game on sale for $2, but it was originally $50. Like, how do you value oh, it? Oh, right. I right. think considering what the actual price is as opposed to the price that you purchased at. I actually, when I think about The Long Dark, I thought about it as a $20 game, regardless from the fact that I bought it as a $10. And I thought, great for a $20 game. I think of games as the price I pay for them. But I'll also say with the expectation of, hey, this game only cost me this much money. Yeah, if you give the disclaimer for it, I think that's valuable to people too, mm, because ultimately yeah. sales happen. Like if you can find it at a discounted price and then that was a swaying decision for someone who rated it in one way or another, 
you can benefit from from that. If you were to find this game at a discounted price, I would score it pretty highly. Probably four out of five. That's what discount opinion. would you put it at? Mm, That's the question. Maybe half off, like ten dollar okay. game. Ten oh, or fifteen. Yeah. I'm thinking as a whole, price considered, I'd give it a three point five. Out of five? Out of five. A seven out of ten. Okay, we need to decide. Are we using the five-point scale or the ten-point scale? Let's just go with the ten-point, because if we do points all the time, like right. three-point something. Considering the price that I had to pay for it, which was the tax, because <laughs> <laughs> Neil, put, Neil if, put the other If it were down. a $20 game, though, what would you, how Out would you 10? feel about it? Maybe a six or a seven with the idea of Journey as a $20 game. I bought Journey three times. I physically purchased Journey three times. At $20 a piece? Pretty much. Like, not because you felt like you weren't getting a good enough experience on past versions, but because you, it was that good, right? It was that good of a game, even though it also had no answers, philosophical questions throughout the roof. Like, every time you played that game, you got a little bit more out of it. It's about the replayability. Yeah. Whereas Little Nightmares, as we discussed, I'm not a completionist, so it's got no replayability for me. It, yeah, it means absolutely nothing to both of us. So it gets a little bit lower of a score because of unanswered questions, I guess. Damn it, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, Lizzie, you will not be joining us. It's been great to have you on, as always. Thank you. Bye, Lizzie. Bye. <laughs> I love you. We brought up two games that came out this past Tuesday, one of which I think everyone on the subreddit for PSVR was very, very excited for. Farpoint. Or as Neil and Scott were calling it, shooting game with bicycle frame gun. Yeah, bicycle frame gun game. (laughs) Bicycle frame shooting game, I think is what we came up with. Developed by Impulse Gear and published by Sony Interactive Entertainment America, Farpoint is a first-person shooter that utilizes the new... PSVR aim controller. Controller doesn't feel too bad uh, having having just handled it myself. Uh, Scott, you played a bit of it today, and Cookie, you've been playing it for the past week, I guess, at this point. Kind of. When you're not watching Death Parade, that is, of course, or uh, playing, <laughs> playing the next topic. Yeah. Uh, how, do, how do you guys feel about this game? First off, on the controller, controller is not a beautiful object in any way. It really does look like a PVC pipe bicycle frame. And yet, it is exactly what it needs to be. Um, Just playing for the very short period of time I did, it feels so comfortable. It's just the right length and size. All the buttons are really easy to access. Granted, I had some trouble finding the start and the share button, but that's because I didn't like, I didn't look for them. So Cookie had to like guide my hands to those buttons when I was holding the controller. We ghosted a little bit. Which was confusing. Yeah. Uh, In uh, in the designer's defense, I feel like those two buttons need to be way out of the way so you don't accidentally hit them. No, I totally agree. I just didn't know where they were. If anything, the share button could be moved to somewhere a little less conspicuous, but I wish they would have doubled up on the options button because it is, uh, for its placement, what you need the options button to do in VR is to resync and reorient yourself. So if you hold the options button while playing this game, it actually shows you where the camera, camera is. is. And so with me being left-handed, my right hand is near 
is at the front of the gun and my thumb can easily access that options button. Whereas Scott, since he's right-handed... It was a little harder to do that. It's a little more awkward for him to go over to options without having to hit the joystick that's on his... That's on that hand. And yeah. I, I am the more common handedness being right-handed. So you would think that it would be designed that way. But nah. I think it's to mirror that the PlayStation controller. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Yes. The gun itself has a really, really nice weight to it. The weight is perfect. Yeah, it, it's heavier than it looks. Um, but it wouldn't be tiring to hold that for a long time either. And to also support the weird design being that it's a full, not circle, but we're, we're going to say that. like the If you just think about a bicycle frame where the pedals are is the bottom, bottom corner yeah. and where your front tire goes is the top corner. It, mm-hmm. It's exactly that, well, <laughs> more or less. But I imagine they did that so they could avoid potential hazards with breaking the controller if it didn't have the bottom portion of that grip. Or not the grip, I guess, but you could easily, like, get, not easily, I guess, but you could potentially get it caught on something, pull too hard and break it. I mean, you, you have to childproof these things. Why are you childproofing guns? Because I'm sure there's going to be, like, some sort of child version of paintball or something coming out at some point in time. I At least you think. Are you right? talking about Splatoon? <laughs> More or less, except not owned by Nintendo, yeah. right? <laughs> I'm fine with this. Enough about the gun. Scott, so you played a little bit of Farpoint. What did you think? Well, I thought PowerPoint was a great game, personally. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It was nice that after playing it, you expressed to me that they designed it in a way where when the enemies get behind you, that they try and orient themselves to not just attack from your blind spot from behind. Because I was freaking out whenever anything got behind me. Because it's not, especially the situation we were in, I understand that my height sometimes makes it a little tricky to orient me in a small room like this. And since I didn't want to knock over like any mics on the table or anything, I was very cautious about like doing fast rotations. So when things got behind me, I was just like, backpedal, backpedal, <laughs> keep backpedaling until I can see it again. But then they'd scuttle out in front of me and pass that because I'm backpedaling more than I need to. Besides that complaint, though, like it was super fluid, like very smooth, and it felt very immersive. So did you experience any kind of motion sickness at all? Not at all. None whatsoever. And I even did use the, uh, the quick rotation analog stick, for, which would be for my right hand, but it would have been for your left hand, to you know, like clip right or left a little bit. Um, and no issues there. I thought that that would be the one thing that may or may not get me. So I, they've got a couple of different settings for that. Mm-hmm. And they've actually got more settings than I'm used to actually seeing for turning. So they've got small rotation at a like a click, small, like and just kind of jumps. what you were on, right? And that's what I keep it held on. Then okay. they've got like one that allows you to rotate at a bigger gap. Then they've got something called click rotation, which is basically you aim the PlayStation 4 control, the playstation aim controller Mm -hmm. and then you push the l3 or the r3 whatever so you actually push in the analog stick and then that locks the center and it locks the center of your vision into that Mm. which i haven't tried in the actual like gameplay and then they've got the smooth rotation that might be a little tricky in gameplay if i think about it like it would be nice if you need to make one immediate uh like large movement but if you need to say make more on top of that then you'd have to like turn click turn click 
So at this point, and return back to center with that as well, which is a little weird. Thoughts of motion sickness? I was really impressed with um, Resident Evil Seven. It only hit me like a couple of times where I was like, okay, just the tiniest bit of motion sickness. This game, I quite literally had to try to get motion sick with. Was that with the smooth turning? That was with the smooth turning, but it wasn't also in like the desert area where I actually tried the smooth turning and the different turnings was in the menu setting where you're in this tight little corridor. And I think that's the only reason like the motion sickness really hit me because with everything being really close, a lot of things start moving really fast around you. Whereas I'm constantly tapping the sprint button with the backpedaling and the moving around like super fast in the outside area. And there's just no problems whatsoever. So open spaces are happy for VR. And I'm actually really excited because I was like, okay, they did a good job with Resident Evil 7 with the PlayStation VR. I'm not 100% sure it's going to get much better. And I need to train my C legs, my VR legs. Mm. After playing a lot of rigs in the PlayStation VR, I was like, whenever I smell the headset, because it's got a very distinct scent to it. It's like a rubbery plastic yeah. kind of still smells really new. Yeah. Whenever I smell that. It's not like, bad though. It's not bad, but now I correlate it with motion sickness. So as oh. soon as I put on the headset, I get just a twinge of motion sickness mm. even before anything turns on. And that's mainly because. Scent is memory. It's like. Yeah. yeah. And whenever you it. put on the headset, if you are just first turning it on, it takes a second to orient itself. Oh. So <laughs> like. You're getting the menus and you're just like, everything's moving disjointedly. So I always get like a twinge of motion sickness when I first turn it on. So I kind of dread putting on the PlayStation VR headset. I got a little off balance. I don't know if you guys saw me square my stance a bit more. You got to find, you got to do that every once in a while. Yeah. With this game. But so this, this game actually makes me excited and happy for the future of VR, whatever it may be, because it's got to continue please oh my gosh vr support in like the the next next iteration of like battlefield i will get back into that game if if uh it's something that i can use like a vr controller on like that like also i'm I'm so excited also i'm very happy that playstation finally made a new thing for vr besides the actual headset itself because the camera is still the playstation 3 PlayStation I and the PlayStation 3 move controllers. Mm-hmm. They're that old. Well, is there new technology inside the aim? I think so because it tracks so much better. But they basically said, hey, this is a new controller. It's got new stuff with it. So if it's not new technology, at least they're optimizing it better, which makes me think maybe I should go. No, I don't want to go back and play the other on rail shooting game. Oh, uh, until, until dawn. dawn. It does track exceptionally well because I did spend time just pushing objects off of the desk, cat simulator, <laughs> and it was it was perfect. Like I had total understanding of where I was at spatially with that, and it did it perfectly. Like it moved as slowly as I did, and the point tracked exactly how I'd expect a real life object to move. Very good attention to detail on it. I think. Do you think you had the same level? of uh, attention to detail in Injustice 2, Cookie? Yes. If not, even more. Great segue, by the way. (laughs) Very good. So the other game that came out this week was Injustice 2. 
me and a couple of the other old school fancy ramen podcast original members, OGs for life, I guess. We kind of talk about fighting games and Injustice was one of like the fighting games that I really enjoyed. I'm not a huge Mortal Kombat fighter, but for some reason throwing the DC skin on it and the way they like made it just so wonderful. Injustice 2's got a couple of tweaks to what they did with the original game. So one thing that they did was they put a 25% speed boost on it. So it's the Street Fighter Turbo of Mortal Kombat games. So it's much faster and it makes it so much smoother. And it's got a couple of different like random modes outside the story. I enjoyed the continuation of what's going on in the addition of Brainiac and why Darkseid is wherever the fuck he is, whenever he is. It's cool. But fighting wise, so much smoother. A lot of new mechanics. They've got just an all-star roster of like characters that you can play that I didn't even realize were in the game, but I knew were in the game. They reskin characters, but they also just like rename the moves that they do. So when you're using the flash, there's a skin that's reverse flash skin, but he's got his move sets are slightly different and his parameters are slightly tweaked whenever you put that skin on. But yeah, so they're different skins, and I think I'll end up buying the season pass just so I can get all the new characters. Mm, imagine that's weird. That. Yeah, we, we talked about this. I'm last glad week we too. took a bet yeah. on it. Maybe we'll have to find out because as of right now, who's with the season pass? I guess it's Sub Zero, Starfire, and Robin. Fun game, good mechanics. There's got this new system called the Multiverse, and it's basically exactly what it sounds like. Just a bunch of missions to do. Go to different areas of the multiverse, beat up on some folks, call it a day. Sweet. Yeah. There's also a guild system. So if you guys are interested, join the Fancy Ramen Guild. We have a All guild. Right. We've got nine members so far. And you'll be able to find it just by searching Fancy Ramen? Mm-hmm. That's two words. Yep, two words. And if you go to the Fancy Ramen Facebook page, I will be posting the guild's guild ID on there as well. Beautiful. Nice. Well, guys... We're going to start a new segment today uh, that we're going to very aptly, at least for now, name the hot list. We're going to jump through a handful of topics and we're just going to get responses out as uh, quick as possible. Right. So starting off, a patch for Mario Kart 8 removes an offensive taunt from the Inkling Girls repertoire known as the Italian Salute. The right move or overly sensitive? At first, I was going to say overly sensitive, but I'm going to say right move because, you know, if Europeans want to be touchy about this being an offensive gesture, fine. That's not our culture. Maybe we can't we can't argue about what is is offensive to them or not. I'm going overly sensitive because triggering people is triggered. Trigger. (laughs) Honestly. Okay. uh, During Nintendo's latest Nintendo Direct, we received information on the uh, upcoming title (laughs) ARMS. Uh, as well as dates for, and times for their global test punch, by the way. How do you like that test fire? Now you get a test punch. How interested are you guys in this game? I am on this shit after I found out that it's going to be like a... It, it's not going to be as intense as Custom Robo, but it looks like it's going to be like Custom Robo. Customize your arms, have characters that have different like core move sets or abilities. I'm all about this. Yeah, it's totally virtual on and Custom Robo put together. Y- exactly. So I am also totally on this as well i hope it's going to be better than the global test fire is my only concern because the global test fire was honestly the worst way for a beta to happen in my opinion sure because not everybody can do that at those specific times and then the only times you have them posted are a deep you got to go into the deep web 
in order to find out when the test fire was. So I hope that's not the case for this test punch. And then you also have to disseminate between, okay, what time zone am I in? And where does this fit into where they're actually showing when these test fires are going to be? Well, these test punches are going to be. But I'm in. Switch Flare. We also learned that the Nintendo Switch will be getting new colors for uh, their Splatoon 2 release with neon green and pink Joy-Cons. No word yet whether we're getting that in America, but if it does, is this the system you're getting, Scott? I said they make green, I'd buy it, yes. You're willing to compromise having a pink one too? Uh, I had a Halo 3 uh, edition Xbox 360 that was olive drab green. Came with a green controller, absolutely adored it. Bought my sister a controller, hot pink. I've already had this. It's the pink lady. Yeah, it's just neon green now. I'm totally down for it. On a weird side note, whenever I played Halo, I also played in all pink armor, and my character's <laughs> name was Howard. <laughs> Don't uh, ask. Uh, you haven't picked up your second Switch yet. What about you, Cookie? If if I end up talking my wife into getting the second Switch, yes, because our actual color scheme for me and her is uh, green and purple. Ah, so we're just cool. missing yeah. we're just missing the purple controller, and we also had a pink lady. For a PlayStation 3 controller. Nice. And an Xbox 360 controller, so. I like pink controllers, actually. They work out just fine. You, you never lose them. Until you do. Because <laughs> someone's like, I like that. I'm taking your pink controller. Okay, I'm sorry. Phantom Dust re-release is free for Xbox One and PC. What, what? I think I downloaded that on PC, and by I think I downloaded that on PC, I signed up to download it on the PC, but using my iPad, so it's not actually on my PC. Mm. Yet. Uh, it's it's, it's curious because uh, the Phantom Dust re- or a remake or reboot, you could say, was either canceled or put on hiatus. The fact that they're making this move certainly seems to indicate that maybe they're gauging people's interest for a reboot of Phantom Dust. Destiny 2 also released some long-awaited gameplay footage over the last week. Uh, there, there's a few minutes of it if you actually dig deep enough. Quick answer. Didn't watch. Don't play Destiny. Won't play Destiny. And what about you, Cookie? Quick answer. Did watch, did play Destiny, might play Destiny? You're, you're kind of kind of shaky on it, I take it, though? Yeah, because, you know, Destiny caught my interest for all of five minutes and then re-caught my interest for all of five minutes and then did not catch my interest. It caught my interest a little more than uh, The Division. I went through something like, I felt like 20 minutes of footage and managed to find maybe a collective two or three minutes of actual in-game footage. Looks like Destiny. The graphics certainly look great, but I don't really know what it has to offer me over every other FPS shooter at this point. Unlike Farpoint, which puts you in the action. If you want to point at us, you can send us an email at fancyramen at podcast.com <laughs> nice damn it you nice. put me on the spot you podcast did great, at you did great. <laughs> that's right podcast <laughs> at fancyramen.com uh we're out of time so we're gonna actually put some emails we got this week uh onto next i apologize also why does he get to do the plug i tried to do the plug earlier and you're like fuck you cookie because <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna put the plug in here well fine okay and i accept this by all means uh Leave us a like or review if you feel strongly about us. And of course, send us uh, criticism as well if you're not feeling this new format. We take criticism seriously. As yes. Yes, we do. one email was like, hey, you should probably try this. And we were like, we're doing it. Let's do this. Guys, it's been great podcasting with you. This was the Fancy Ramen Podcast. I'm Neil. I'm Scott. 
Oh, I'm Cookie. Hi. <laughs> I was gonna say something in Japanese, but realized I don't know Japanese. Baka. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys.